It's uh, great to be with you this morning, and I bring you lots of love, many greetings from your brothers and sisters all in the Middle East. Does it encourage you or does it not encourage you to know that people are worshiping? Many of them meet on Friday instead of Sunday, but they're worshiping in places like Egypt and Tunisia and Lebanon and, and a lot of other cool places I get to go. Uh, in fact, on the news, and we've all been, I think, I've been glued to the news. I don't normally do this, but I've been getting up in the morning and turning on the television. That's really a pretty bad habit. I wouldn't advise it. But I turn on the TV, and I, we have this multi-view, so I can see all the news channels. I just, I'm glued to what is developing in the Middle East. Is God going to do something here? Is the Islamic world going to crack wide open? I don't know. But I was talking to one preacher uh, when I was in Egypt, and he said that uh, this month... In the nation of Jordan, they're expecting six Muslims to be baptized just in their little church. And that, you can applaud for that. I mean, we, we applaud when Calvin becomes our brother. To make that, that, that change uh, from, from Islam to Christianity is a place where you get beat up or killed in so many countries. Something's got to change. These, this is one-sixth of mankind are, are the Muslims. And uh, at any rate... Many of you got my newsletter. If, if you didn't, I hope you'll look at it. There are links to interview. You can learn about the, uh, the trip I had to Lebanon and also Egypt. I left Egypt on the fifth day of the protest, and it was and is very intense. This uh, One week ago today, I was getting ready to come here to North River, and I got a phone call, and I did not recognize the number. That's because it was international, and it was 699. I said, 699? What is that? 619 San Diego. What's 699? And it was... Uh, the guy got on. I said, who's calling? And it was Ramses. It was a brother in Egypt calling me. He said, we just, we're concerned for you. We want to make sure you made it out okay. You're, you're calling to see if I'm okay? Well, about time you called me to check on me. No. <laughs> if you know the, the, the New Testament, I felt like you know, I should be baptized by you. You know, what is, you're, you're, how am I? How are you? How are you, Ramses? How is the church getting on? And then just a couple days ago, Mubarak turned the internet back on. That rascal, he disrupted cell phone service and internet. I mean, I couldn't find out what was going on at all. They turned it back on. And I got a very encouraging email from the preacher in Cairo. You have brothers and sisters in Cairo, in Alexandria, the places you're looking at on the news. And uh, when I was there, I told them, remember, uh, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You know, God will bring change in His time, but we can't hate. We can't have enemies we hate. We're not, we're not that way. We're different to the world. But this brother, Suleiman, he wrote to me, because I said, so how are you? I got this, life in the Middle East is a continuous adventure, and I like it. <laughs> Remember, you have a home in Egypt as long as I am here. And I'm quite sure if any of you wanted to visit Cairo, you would have a home there as well. Great family, terrific. There's an extremely great need for leadership in all the world. In the Gulf states where I spoke, the Gulf, not of Mexico, but the Persian Gulf. I spoke in Lebanon, I mean, I, not Lebanon, I spoke in Bahrain, I spoke in Kuwait, I spoke in the United Arab Emirates. No full-time staff. It really does help a lot when you have people who can devote themselves full-time. Uh, there's a great need. They're doing a great job in Lebanon and Egypt, and I really... Uh, so much appreciate the leaders there. But leadership is a massive need, and that's actually what I'm supposed to talk about today. Uh, I was given, my text is 1 Timothy 3. Now, 1 Timothy 3 is not a chapter, when it comes to mind, you think, oh yeah, that's something to preach from, because that's the, that's the requirements for elders and deacons. 
say, what kind of a sermon will that be? Well, you'll find out in just a minute. I do know that whether we're elders or deacons or not, all of us are leaders in this way. We all have influence. You influence people. You influence people to follow God or to turn away from God. You're their inspiration or you're their excuse. Everyone's a leader in some way, even if you don't feel like a leader. And so I'd like you to open up to 1 Timothy 3. And I got advice on this. I mean, I talked to brothers at North River. I talked to some people outside. Everyone said, oh, this is great. Just go for it. This will be super. And as I prepare this message, I realized how vital these topics are. So are you there at 1 Timothy 3? It's the, we're only using one passage today, okay? And if my voice holds out, you'll get a full message. And if not, I'm sorry. What is going on in, in Ephesus? 1 Timothy is written to Timothy, who's in Ephesus. Ephesus is a city in western Turkey. And things are okay, but they're, they're starting to slip. The church has been around uh, quite a while. It's been around, oh, 10 years plus. And they have elders. It's a more mature church. But some things aren't going so hot. Uh, the standards of leadership are slipping. Uh, they're false teachers. I'm trying to imagine this evening. Maybe it's around 8.15 tonight. And the team I want to win is winning, but by less and less. The enemy, I mean, the other team is coming back. <laughs> and, uh, and I won't say who that is. And you say, what's going on? What, it's getting, I'm getting, if it keeps on going like this and, and there's no overtime... We're, we're in trouble. We're in trouble here. I think that's what's going on in Ephesus. The situation is destabilized. There are false teachers around. And Paul writes about elders and deacons. It's all about leadership. Just as, if you didn't know, tonight's the Super Bowl. Uh, in sports, in, 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 in companies, and in families, it's all about leadership. And certainly, equally so, in the church of God. You may say, this has nothing to do with me. I'm just a newcomer. I'll never be an elder. I'm just visiting North River. You say, well, I'm 17 years old. I need to tune out. Do we get wireless in this building here? You know, <laughs> I tell you what, uh, it does apply. It applies to all of us for reasons I will say. It's not time to tune out. Why should you pay any attention to me? Why should you listen to what Douglas has to say? Well, because we're talking about character. What makes an athlete, what makes a football player a great athlete is not so much how, mu how many points he scores. It's his heart. Everyone knows that. And that's why it's so inspiring to see an athlete who's got character and scoring ability. Because the other kind of athlete won't go far. He'll ruin his life. He'll ruin his family. Uh, it's all about character. I think we have something to learn. I have something to learn in these scriptures. Also, you may not be an elder or a deacon, but if you're a member of the church, you have a responsibility to make sure they're holding to the right standards themselves. You say, well, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to give feedback. You have a responsibility. Uh, it, it's like the, the protesters on the streets in, in Yemen and, and Algeria and, and Egypt. They're giving feedback. Well, that's not quite the way we do it. We don't organize. We don't get on Facebook and organize protests if... Uh, Tom's sermon, you know, was too long or, you know, Jeff used the scripture wrong. We, I don't mean that. But I mean, we do need to hold our leaders accountable because there is a biblical standard. The standard is here. And so it doesn't mean you have to take their place, but we need to hold each other accountable. We need to know what's expected biblically. I think we do. Elders have to be men of character. You know, to be a president, a president of a country, you don't have to have a lot of character. 
here's what you have to have. You have to be a certain minimum age, which now to me seems quite young indeed. <laughs> you have to be 35. Oh, you have to be born in a certain country. You have to be a certain age, and you have to be popular. Wow. Uh, okay. To be a senator, to be a CEO, it's not necessarily about character. God's standards are a lot higher than the standards for Congress or the White House. They're a lot higher than they are in your place of work, much higher. And if these men who are leaders don't have the character, the chaos of their own home life is going to spill into the church and muck it up for all of us. We don't want that. There is an organizational side to eldership and to the diaconate, having deacons. And this thing can go well or not depending on their character. So let's go. Verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying. Pause. There are five, quote, trustworthy sayings in Paul's letters to Timothy Titus. You can find them yourself. But that's just a good further study. But this is the first one. It's a trustworthy saying. What is? Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It's a good thing. What's an overseer? It's a church leader. It's the, the guy who's managing. It's the guy who's leading. An overseer. He says that's a good thing. Why? Is it good pay? Uh, no, not, not usually. That's not really why people do it. Some do. It's a noble task because you are animating the people of God. You're helping God to become real to those who do not know Him. It's noble because it takes guts. You know, in the early church, when they had the persecutions, do you know who the persecutors went after? They didn't arrest you. What? You're in the edge? You're in the singles? How long have you been a member? A year? Okay, we're going to kill you. They don't care about that. They're not coming for you. You what? You're 14 years old? Who's the leader? What's his name? Where does he live? Uh-huh. We're coming to his house. And that's the one they killed. There are a lot of people who were executed, but it was typically the leaders. They burned the Bibles, they destroyed the church buildings, and they burned the bishops. It's the leaders that go after. Sometimes it's worse. When I was in Kuwait, I looked across the sands at Iraq, and I was wondering, how are our brothers and sisters doing in Iraq? And I, got, I found out. And what I heard was not encouraging. I heard that they've all been evacuated. What? They've all moved to other countries. Why? Because death squads are going house to house. Some of the radicals, radical Muslims, are going house to house and just killing all the Christians they find. It's happening in Egypt also. But it's much worse in Iraq. You'd say, well, that's not very courageous. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 23, if they persecute you in one city, choose another city. <laughs> Flee to another city. This is not hypothetical. There's nothing hypothetical when everyone has to flee persecution. To be a leader, to become an overseer is a noble task. And in much of Christian history, it's been a hard thing. You say, well, overseer, my Bible says elder, my Bible says bishop. An overseer is the church leader. 
my opinion is that these are the ones who lead the church. Okay, here in North River, there are six people in this group. Four official elders, two official preachers. That's the oversight group. And they're the ones who need to meet these high, this high standard. Verse 2. The overseer is to be above reproach. Faithful to his wife. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Able to teach, not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He's just painting a picture of the character that the elder needs to have. Faithful to his wife. He's a one-woman man. The same phrase is in 1 Timothy 5.9. The widow has to be a one-man woman. He's faithful. He's temperate. He's not extreme. He's extreme in his commitment. He's, not ex- he's temperate. He's in control. Respectable. Others respect him. He's hospitable because people are in his home. When, I'm in, when I was in Egypt, the first thing I did was to have a meal in the home of Suleiman. Suleiman is, is Arabic for Solomon, by the way. Uh, was to have a meal in his home with his wife and his children. They open their homes. They got to be hospitable, able to teach. Oh, wait, no, that's for teachers. Uh, on Pierre. Able to teach is for overseers. If you're a church leader, you have to be able to teach. Not just do an announcement. You've got to be handling the scriptures and bringing them to life. That's with the job. That is essential. Able to teach. Not given to drunkenness. Because it's hard to respect men who stagger into church. <laughs> Drunk. <laughs> not violent. But gentle. He's not a bully. Lead- Some leaders get where they get by being a bully. By just running over other people. He's not a bully. Not quarrelsome. He doesn't insist on being right all the time. I mean, there's some things that you've got to hold to the, the gospel truth. But this man is not quarrelsome. He's not someone who just, you know, some people, they just love to fight. And some people just love to have religious quarrels. Avoid those people, Paul says in 2 Timothy. And he's not a lover of money. Last, why? Because the elders were often paid. And if they have a weakness for money, it's going to mess up their leadership. Yes. Hospitality, because they lead the church and people are in their home. Able to teach, and some even preached, chapter 5 says. And you may think, well, Douglas, uh, this seems like a double standard. So these overseers have to live at this high level. And we, under members, we just kind of come and live the way we want to live. Isn't that what you call clergy and laity? No, I would not call this a double standard. It is, however, a higher standard. Because these guys, the leadership group of any church is going to be judged a lot more strictly by God and even by you and me, right? Because we're looking at them and we notice. We notice. Let's continue on. Not a double standard, just a higher standard. He must manage his own family well. He must see that his children obey him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Right? He's not making them do it at gunpoint. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Well, let's finish up this part about the elders. 
it assumes that they have families. Do they have to have a family? My opinion, no. I don't think they have to have families. I don't think deacons have to have families. I think it's assumed that they have families. Since most men do marry, most men do have children. And if they do, and things are wacky at home, that's a very bad sign. Someone who shouldn't be in leadership. And one reason I think that is, if I'm wrong, then Paul would have been disqualified. Right? He, he, he wasn't married. He didn't have kids. Jesus would be disqualified. Sorry, Jesus. You can't be on the oversight group because you're single. <laughs> Jesus and Paul both said some pretty complimentary things about singles and, and actually said, if you can stay single all your life, if you can actually do it, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. At any rate, it assumes they had families. And I would add, they're not qualified Someone's not qualified to be an elder, an overseer, just because he's got a good family. His children are warm and giving, and his wife is radiant. Therefore, let's give him the reins of the congregation. No, that is not what Paul's saying. Because leadership is not just about having a good family. Leadership is about leading the way. Leadership is about setting the pace. And Paul warns, if you put him in leadership too quickly, so, the recent convert, it says he could become conceited, that's never pretty, and fall under the same judgment as the devil. In other words, putting someone in leadership too soon will hurt him. It'll hurt the church. Leaders need to lead the way. How do I read this? When I read 1 Timothy, when I read the New Testament, leaders need to lead the way in their walk with God in their determination to have a life of impact. If, if you're an elder or preacher, you need to lead the way in your evangelism. You need to lead the way in your knowledge of the Scriptures. You've got to lead the way. You've got to be on fire for God. If you're not on fire for God, get out. Get out of that group. Now, as you lead the way, if your family is totally out of control, there's something's not right. You're not qualified. But it's not, well... Either he's on fire or he's a good family, whatever. We'll put him in. No, you need to have both. You need to have both. Keep going. I don't know if you like that, but I'm saying that. I think it's true. And, of course, you'd say, yeah, get him, Douglas. Get him. Uh, you know, <laughs> every finger points at them. Three come back at us. I mean, it's not a double standard, but it is a higher standard. And when, when, people, when, when people are following that higher standard, it's inspiring. Look, I was baptized when I was 18. I'd never heard of the Church of Christ. I didn't have any family members who read the Bible, unless they did it secretly. Why would they do that? I never heard of it. But it didn't take but a couple months as a Christian before I started thinking, wow, I want to be like my campus minister. I don't know if I can. I, I can't even speak. I'm afraid to even talk. But maybe one day. I just. And, I, and at college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no plan. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> I'm not the only one. But I thought, wow, but if I could ever work for the church, why would I want to work for the church? Because I so deeply respected those people who had embraced that noble calling, who were on fire, who were setting the pace. It's a high calling. Elders and evangelists are not just managers or consultants. They're trailblazers. They're not just, well, someone got to manage. Someone got to make sure this, everything's done properly and in order. Yes, amen a thousand times, but it's so much more than that. That's not what a leadership group is. Let's go on. We've got to talk about the deacons now, okay? Part two. There are two parts in this message. What do deacons do? 
Before I continue reading in verse 8, again, I'm going to share uh, something of a different opinion. I almost said dissenting, but dissenting sounds like dissent, which is not true. I believe that in the New Testament times, deacons ministered to the poor. Now, I'm very aware that in some churches, they have deacons in charge of the bus ministry. They bus people in to church. Uh, we have deacons in charge of anything and everything, from building and grounds to visitation to communion preparation. And that's all great. That's wonderful. And we need to honor and respect anyone who's serving. My curiosity, though, is, is that exactly what a deacon was in the Bible times? The first time we come across the deacons is in Acts chapter 6. It never uses the word deacon, diakonos, but it uses the word diakonia for service, diakonain, to serve, and there it's about ministering to the poor, particularly the poor within the body of Christ. You'd say, yeah, but they're not called deacons in Acts 6. Well, Luke wrote Acts. Luke never calls Paul an apostle. He's a missionary in Acts 14. But he, you could say, well, Paul's not an apostle because Luke doesn't call him that. They aren't deacons because Luke didn't call them that. I think they are deacons for a number of reasons. You'd say, yeah, but Stephen and Philip went on to become preachers. Hey, just because they were preachers doesn't mean they weren't deacons. Sometimes we're called on to wear more than one hat. They were helping the needy. In church history, this is what the deacon is. We look back in the first couple hundred years, that's what they did. They helped the needy within the church and outside the church. Most of the world at that time, just like now, was not very well off. Most of the world is poor today. Most of the world is poor back then. These people had such a sacred job that they were entrusted to administer the funds and to help the church to meet the needs of the poor. This, the deacon, as the diaconos as that, did not exist before the church. Oh, every organization had the bishop, the episcopos, the overseer, because every, you got to have a leader. But the church established something new. It was an office dedicated to helping the poor. That has pretty much dropped out of Christianity now. And when did that begin? I mean, even around 300 AD, even then... The deacon was now the assistant to the bishop. He helped him get communion ready. That is not what we read about in the New Testament. Most of the world is not well off. Uh, later this month, I'll be in Nicaragua. I'll be in, in Honduras. That's the way most of the world is. you got some rich, but most of the people are poor. Some of you are still a little skeptical about this. Did you know that in Rome... Rome was the largest city in the Mediterranean world, the ancient world. Rome was the largest church also, largest city. They had a million people then. They had a lot of deacons in Rome in the 200s. You want to know how many? Thank you. I wanted you to know. The record of history says they had 154 deacons. They were supporting 1,500 widows, orphans, and needy persons. That's what the diaconate was all about. And I'm not saying that... I don't want to communicate disrespect or ingratitude. I'm not saying that if you're a deacon in some different way, you're not helping the poor, that you're somehow discounted. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that 
if you organize the ushers, you should stop doing that, and shame on you for calling yourself a deacon. These are just titles and names. That doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm simply trying to understand what did Paul mean in 1 Timothy when he's talking about deacons. What are deacons in the Bible? Certainly, we need people to organize the ushering or we will have chaos. But what are the New Testament deacons charged to do? Verse 8. I think, hold this thought because I think it will help this passage make more sense. Verse 8. In the same way, deacons, or you could translate it ministers or servants, are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. What stands out to you? For half of you, it's that line about not indulging in much wine. So how much wine could they drink? How much could they indulge? <laughs> Were they allowed to drink or not drink? We're not going to get into that right now. But if they had a problem with drinking, they were disqualified. They could do other things, but they couldn't be deacons. These are men of high character, excellent character. They are men who are convinced of the deep truths of the faith, the basics of Christianity. To be a deacon, to be interfacing with the community, helping the poor, you've got to believe there's a God. You can't be shaky on the existence of God, on the inspiration of the Scriptures, on the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. They hold to the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They're not just intellectually convinced. They are convinced at the deepest level. They are walking the walk. How about that? Do you want to be a deacon? It's a high standard. It's not the same as an elder, but it's a high standard. Deacons don't preach and teach. I'm not saying they couldn't, but public speaking is actually not part of their job description. You know, I'm being so official. You know, it's official, it's an office, it's a job description. These are the qualifications. Probably better to think of these as qualities. These are qualities we're looking for in them. Truth is, we're looking for these qualities in everybody. But the deacons, unlike the elders, do not have to teach. Elders have to teach. Overseers have to teach. That's really very much at the heart of what they do, along with being hospitable. Deacons, however, are still very involved with people but they're involved with needy people. And there's this thing about money. You see that? Not pursuing dishonest gain. Why is that? Why this caution about money? Because money, for many people, is an irresistible magnet. A lot of people want access to money. How many politicians, businessmen, religious leaders do we read about who lack integrity in the financial area or in the other areas that the deacon is told to live a good life in? These men are caught lying or in substance abuse or in stealing. And some of them are even religious leaders. They're like the televangelists. One of the most famous big-time multi-billionaire evangelists in the world I met one of his relatives when I was in the Middle East. You know, there is money to be made in religion. And that's exactly why we have the caution here. If men are not good with money, 
or they have a history of indebtedness or making unwise decisions, they are not good candidates for being deacons. They should not be deacons if they're not good with money. The problems of the poor and the hurting, the problems of the needy are often complicated. They're complex. And we, we're busy. We're under pressure. We have a tendency to oversimplify things. We want to fix people. We want to deal, deal with the problem and go on to the next one as quickly as we can. The deacon needs wisdom. When they appoint the deacons in Acts 6, they look for men full of wisdom. Acts 6, 6, 2, 6, 3, 6, 4. They have to be full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Not just spiritual, but full of wisdom. There's this tendency to oversimplify. And that's not good. They have to be able to listen. And it also says they have to be tested first. Being a deacon is not some volunteer position anyone can do. God bless us all. Let's all volunteer and let's all serve. But this is not just any Christian because all Christians are supposed to serve. This is something different. Can you see that in the text? It's something different. And so you don't appoint yourself as the deacon. This is something that comes from above. It's a very significant leadership position. When Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 1.1, notice he addressed his letter to the church at Philippi together with the elders and the deacons. Doesn't mention the interns or the preachers. He doesn't mention the secretary or the chairman of the board. So the, you have the elders, the oversight group who lead the church. Then you have the deacons who lead the way in helping the poor. The record of church history and the scriptures themselves, I believe, support this position. If you want to study it further, see me in the fellowship and I'll give you some reading ideas. Now it gets kind of interesting. Notice verse 11. In the same way... The wives, the women or the wives, are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, what's going on? His wife has to be a certain kind of person? Well, what about the elder's wife? There's no biblical qualification for an elder's wife. And I think it may have to do with this. In Paul's churches, the women did not preach. The women were not in leadership over men. And so while a wife would be supportive of her husband, she was not serving alongside him in the same work that he was doing because the men were leading. Now it gets really quiet because we're not going to talk about that issue right now, okay? But if you don't believe me, look back in chapter 2, verse 12. Just go back a few verses, 2.12. The women were not preaching and leading. But when it comes to helping the poor, in the early church, the women often did. So I mentioned the deacons, the men appointed in Acts 6. In Acts 9, we see women helping the poor. You see this in 1 Timothy 5. You, you couldn't get support from the church as a widow unless you were 60 years old, etc., etc., and you were someone who cared about the needy. So you look at that. So the, the wife of the deacon would be much more involved in his ministry than the wife of the elder would be in her husband's ministry. Now you say, well, that's not the way it is here. I'm not talking about the way it is here. I'm talking about the way it is in the New Testament. Are you saying we're wrong? I think we should keep an open mind. 
Do you think we have to change everything? No, because that's just chaos. We're all together trying to feel our way forward, trying to understand the Scriptures and, and find how we can best minister to many needs in the church, in the community, and it is complex. And you don't normally improve by making a drastic change you haven't thought through. But these women had to be a certain kind of person. I had another thought in the song before the sermon. Um, another reason why maybe they weren't allowed to speak. I, you know, I just come back from the Middle East and I saw, I shared about it in my newsletter when I was in Bahrain getting ready to fly to Kuwait. I let a family go in front of me. All the kids went and then the first wife, the second, the third, the fourth, and then the husband followed. And they're covered in black from head to toe which could make it kind of difficult to understand them. Not that you couldn't hear the voice, but imagine if I were standing here covered in black from head to toe. You couldn't even see my face. Some would say, yes, that'd be an improvement. But listen to the point I'm making here. It was a different culture. The wives of the deacons were involved. For them, there is a qualification, if you want to call it that. But not for the elder. Interesting. It's true, though. Women who lack self-control, women who are not temperate or who have problems with slander or gossip, women who lack a balanced mental perspective sooner or later will undermine their husband's ministry. That makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Let's go on to verse 12. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. That is, he must be a one-woman man. He must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Character qualities are extra important for the deacon. Why? Because they have access to people who are hurting and who could easily be taken advantage of. When someone is struggling to make ends meet, when someone has suddenly lost her husband and doesn't have support as a widow, or perhaps when someone's parents have just been murdered and now they're all alone, they're especially vulnerable. And so the character of the man is really important. Otherwise, inappropriate conduct can take place. Boundaries can be crossed that should never be crossed. People can be taken advantage of. As with the elder in verse 12, how this man relates to his own family is a pretty good mirror of how he's going to relate to other people. Again, it doesn't, I don't think he's saying he has to be married. It assumes he's married. And since he's probably married, this is how it works. This month, February, I understand that more deacons will be added to the group here in North River. I believe we have about 12 already. I may be wrong on that, but when I travel around the world, I tell them, you know, we have six in the leadership group, we have about 12 deacons, and, you know, 550 members. People, they want to know, and they're very encouraged when I tell them. They, the typical response is, wow, so many mature people. People even baptized before 1990. This is truly amazing. Okay. The oversight group wanted me to speak from this text, 1 Timothy 3 so that all of us would be thinking about this and that we can be somehow involved in the process, at least in our minds, in our hearts, in our prayers. I'm not done, though, because there are two more verses. Paul says, 
although I hope to come to you soon. I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul is giving these instructions about leaders, about elders and deacons, to Timothy, because he's not going to be there. Timothy's going to move on too. And Paul knows to keep the church healthy, we need good management, we need strong leadership. Local leadership, they're open to outside influence, obviously. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy in Ephesus. But the local guys are the ones who are going to take responsibility. And he says, I write these instructions so that people will know how to conduct themselves. Whether it's in the home or at work or on the gridiron tonight, leadership is everything. It's not just about winning. It's how you play. It's about the feeling. If that's true in the Super Bowl, if that's true in our life, absolutely it's true in the church. And those of us who are called to leadership are called to a very high and noble standard. Those are reasons I think I need to pay attention to this passage and emulate that high ideal. Let's close with the prayer as we think about these principles. Lord, thank you so much for First Timothy surviving through the so, so many centuries. It gives us that window into how the early church functioned and how seriously they took leadership, oversight, and, and what an important ministry the deacons had in caring for the poor. Father, I pray that all of our leaders and any additions and selections and refinements that are made here in, in Marietta will take into account your word and will keep the standard really high. For those, those of us who do not serve in these capacities, most of us, help us not to excuse ourselves and think it doesn't apply to us. Help us to hold our leaders' arms up and keep the standard high. And help us also to the best of our ability, strive to have that kind of Christ-like character which you insist on in the elders and the deacons. Let all your words speak to us. Let us skip no passages. Let us push on and find the truth you want us to hear. Pray in your son's name. Amen.